Jackson Sabonis two-man game inside. Domas dominant, dynamite inside on that one. Not afraid, and he got some dog in. And the steal, they can tie it with a three. Murray, yes, a Murray miracle in the desert. Welcome back to another episode of the Kings Pulse podcast presented by the Kings Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, and today I'm joined by Chris Biederman who covers Sacramento Kings for the Sacramento Bee, also does the Candlestick Chronicles podcast on the 49ers, which is a little bit of a sadder topic than the first one for the first time in who knows how long. But how you doing, Chris? <laughs> I'm doing well, man. How's it going? Doing good. Uh, appreciate you hopping on. Um, you are, correct me if I'm wrong, the only local reporter traveling with the team right now? Yeah. Yeah, that's I'm the I'm the only one on the road right now. Jason Anderson and I sort of switch off road trips, um, so I got this one, or at least the first half of it. Uh, so I went to Minnesota for two games. Did the um, did the game in San Antonio last night, and uh, I'm in Indianapolis right now for uh, for the Tyrese Halliburton Demonis Sabonis Bowl with uh, with the Pacers tomorrow night. Yeah, two All Stars, which uh, we'll, we'll get to the All Star conversation. Right. But I want to backtrack a little bit on these last three games um, and get your mm-hmm. perspective. First of all, like that that first night after the first game against Minnesota, um, just how much did coach kind of light into the team for for their defense there? Yeah, that that's always a sticking point, right? I, it, particularly early in the game when you allow D'Angelo Russell to just kind of ease into a lot of open looks and he starts a game eight for eight and it feels like they didn't really respond to his shooting until I don't know some point in the second quarter and at that point it's you're sort of digging yourself a hole right so so for them you know Mike Brown talks about it you know this as well as anybody just just making the opposing team feel you Um, and with Anthony Edwards it's you know he's obviously a tough cover as tough of a cover as, as anybody in the league really but they were almost you know, a little too leery um, of of him driving and, and him exploding past them and getting to the lane. And, and one thing Mike Brown said and, and other coaches said was that, you know, you, you don't want to give him too much space and just allow him to rise up over you because he's got he's got so much size and gets so much elevation on his on his three point shots in particular that, um, you know, when it, it might look like a contested look in theory but given how high he releases the ball and um, it's just not that difficult of a shot for him so they would almost rather have their defenders particularly on Ann Edwards like play up on him and make those threes a little bit tougher and risk having him being able to drive past you because at least then you're playing to your defensive help a little bit you're forcing him to spray to some other shooters um, and, and so that's one thing that that Mike Brown talked about in particular after that, um, after that first Minnesota loss, and then the Kings obviously played a lot better. Mike Brown said on, in that Monday night game, um, their defense, particularly in the first quarter, was probably top three defensive quarter they've had all season. Uh, so that that obviously stood out. Demontis Sabonis gets in foul trouble, um, but you still get another good scoring performance from De'Aaron Fox in the fourth quarter. You get. And you know this, I've been pining for for Trey Lyles to get some run as a backup five. You get Trey Lyles yeah. to 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 play to play center in overtime and and he gives Rudy Gobert and, and Minnesota all sorts of problems just because of his his versatility and his willingness to, you know, throw his weight around a little bit. He tried to to be really physical with Rudy Gobert. Um he boxed him out for a rebound, allowing one of his teammates to get a rebound. He drew a foul on the offensive end, trying to trying to get after the offensive glass, which was a big moment. And obviously he had the corner three and uh, and a driving dunk and was left wide open too. So I, I just think, you know, Trey Lyles can give them something that's that's a little bit different. And I think, you know, come come playoff time, I wouldn't be surprised if that's something the the Kings pull out of their back pocket um, if you know if if they ever need to with Demonis Sabonis off the floor. But no overall, I mean you know, what's interesting, an, an interesting thing about the Kings is, you know, they're seventh in defensive rating on the road, and that number is about 110 points per 100 possessions, which is obviously vastly different than, you know, what, what being seventh in, in home, in, in defense at home would look like. That that number is probably around, I don't know, 109 or 110, something like that. 
Um, but the Kings can play defense like that. It, it's not it's not completely foreign to them, but or, I mean, it seems completely foreign to them, I guess, by results. But but sometimes like they they can show that they can play defense and they're one of the worst. You know, they're seventh, I think the sixth or seventh best defensive team on the road in the NBA and their bottom three, I think, last time I checked in defense at home. And so maybe that's. You know, maybe that's a mindset type thing. Maybe they're just they just assume that they're going to hit a bunch of threes at home, and and no matter what, they're going to be able to shoot themselves out of whatever position they end up getting in in any given game. But um, I I just think more so. I know we're going to talk about roster stuff, but more so than like roster construction right now, I, I think it's just like more of a mentality thing. Like they just need to mature as a team and just. Hold, hold that defensive consistency night in and night out, um, which is difficult for them because obviously they don't have the most defense forward or defense first roster, I should say. But um, they can play defense at a reasonable level. And I think if they do get to that point where they're playing defense with more consistency, they're going to be they're going to be a really good team. And, you know, they're already the third team in the West in, the, in terms of seeding. So I, I think. I think they still have an opportunity to get better with the roster they already have. And, um, you know, I'm curious to see how this, how this game against uh, the Pacers goes on Friday, because they're not going to have De'Aaron Fox. And and maybe that gives us an opportunity to see what Davion Mitchell can give them with more minutes. I, I've been very curious as to what Mitchell could, could offer the Kings in a more expanded role, because all the numbers suggest that obviously their best lineups include him. Um, but their offensive lineups with him are also pretty good. So that'll be an interesting game on Friday for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think the point of attack defense specifically from De'Aaron in that second game was phenomenal in, in that first quarter, like to kind of to what you said, like Mike, Mike Brown talking about how how impressive that first quarter was defensively. I, I think it started with De'Aaron to me, and, and maybe that's just, you know, being the one guarding point of attack and kind of setting the, to- setting the tone from there. Um, but what you mentioned with coach Brown of, or how the team in general has shown they can play defense, but then sometimes it just doesn't happen has been one of like the more vocal frustrations from coach Brown. It's like, I'm only on these guys because I know we can do it. We've, I've seen it. Um, and he said that many times throughout the course of this year and the home and road thing is really weird. Like maybe it's just a sense of comfort at home. And, and it's like the only time they've had really bad losses outside of maybe like the loss to the Knicks at MSG is the only one that p- comes to mind. Like most of their bad losses were at home and I, d- I don't know what it is. They're also way better offensively at home. So maybe you just feel more comfortable relying on your offense or, and therefore get a little bit lackluster on defense. It, it's weird. It, I, do you have any possible like theories to that? No, I, I've asked some of the guys about that stuff, and and I think you know they they've said similar things. Like it's just they they kind of assume that eventually the shots are are going to fall, right? And on the road, and we've seen it with them, particularly lately, like the shots don't always fall. So they have to they have to grind to win in different ways on the road than they typically do at home. And I think they're more conscious of that on the road, like. For example, Wednesday night in San Antonio, when you know they realize early on the shots aren't falling, so they're just relentlessly attacking the the, the rim, and they end up with their most points in the paint on the entire season. That's I don't know that they would have that mindset if if that were a home game, right? They might just continue right. playing the same brand and just eventually hope that those outside shots fall, and then they build some momentum and get the crowd into it. And then the game kind of avalanches against San Antonio in that way. But that's not going to happen when you're not playing at home. So um, I kind of think that's what it is. And and I think as the season goes on, I'm curious to see if they make that adjustment, right? Like if they realize in these games at home, they can't just keep popping a bunch of threes when, you know, they're not going in. They need to they need to switch things up and maybe it. It involves more of Demonis Sabonis being assertive and and just putting his head down and going in the post, or De'Aaron Fox just getting going early and and instead of doing, um, you know the the one on one floater game that he's that he's so good at in the fourth quarter, if he starts 
doing that earlier on in the game. Um, maybe that's that's an adjustment that they need to make. And I'm sure that that'll be the type of thing to if and when they make the playoffs. I, I mean, I think I'm I'm fairly comfortable in saying I think they're going to make the playoffs yeah. and they should be a team that's that's better than the play in. But if they get, get there, I think it's going to feel like even though they're going to be at home and that atmosphere is going to be electric. Um, I think the the style of game is going to is going to tend to look more like what they have how they have to play on the road if that makes any sense because they're going to be even home games where the the three point shots aren't falling and they're just going to have to rely on De'Aaron Fox and Demonis Sabonis to to be really aggressive and go attack the rim and attack the paint and try to score in the ways that they like to score whereas in the regular season you're seeing them you know look to spray a lot of threes so uh, I, that that's one thing I think is it's just a mentality thing. It's just a comfort level thing. And it's still overall a pretty young team that's still kind of trying to figure out how to how to be how to maintain a high level of play. Um, but, you know, it, if things are going to go as well as they want them to go this season, they're going to have to learn how to how to overcome those types of situations at home and on the road. And I think you're, you're sort of seeing signs of it during this road trip. Yeah, winning ugly. And I think that they haven't done that all too often throughout the course of this year. There's been more as we've gotten further along here. Um, But being able to pull that off is big. And I think Sabonis, um, we saw in these couple home games before they began this road trip that teams were really playing him more as a passer. At one point, Coach Brown compared it a little bit to Draymond Green, that they're almost like faking the help and then going back out to shooters, knowing he wants to be passed first. And in these three games, you have 24.7 points from Domas. You still have the typical 11.3 rebounds, um, but it's only 3.3 assists. Like, I knew that when he needed to, he could score more. But I think that that mindset maybe needed to, or just the recognition of like, okay, this that night wasn't an outlier. Like, teams are starting to play me a little bit differently. Um, so switching that up a little bit and seeing him put up the scoring production that he has throughout the course of this trip, that 34 that he had against San Antonio, um, only 17 against Minnesota, but that's on seven of 10 from the field in their, in their second showing. Um, I, I think that he's been playing differently um, only because teams are forcing him to. Yeah, I also think he's playing a little bit differently because so many of his assists tend to go to Kevin Herter, right? And right. when Kevin Herter isn't shooting well, which he hasn't been shooting well on this road trip hardly at all, um, then the King, then Mike Brown goes more towards Malik Monk. And the difference between Domas Sabonis playing with Malik Monk and Kevin Herter is that Malik Monk and, and Sabonis are running pick and roll and Monk is is looking for Sabonis. Whereas, you know, we see so many dribble handoffs with Kevin Herter and and Domas where Herter's the one shooting. Right. So it's almost like with Monk getting that playing time, that those the, the scoring versus distributing for for Sabonis kind of switches um, when when those guys are on the floor together. So it's a little bit interesting. And, and I, I do think Monk and Sabonis have really built a a pretty solid chemistry together when it comes to that pick and roll dynamic, because even, you know, you don't even see Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox run that, that traditional pick and roll a whole lot. It's more dribble handoff stuff um, and more screens allowing De'Aaron some of that freedom to get in the lane and maybe switch on to somebody and, and, you know, some step guys to, to get to that mid range and, and the floaters, that he likes so much, but um, you know, there isn't a whole lot of diving in the Kings offense when it comes to like a big man and pick and roll, unless it's Domas and Malik Monk running, running it together. Um, And so that's, I think a a big part of the change too. And, you know, curious to see like, can, can Malik Monk and Kevin Herter be hot at the same time? (laughs) Right. Because it's like, it, it feels like recently when, when Herter's hot, then Monk is not getting much burn. But if if Herter's not shooting well, then Monk's getting a lot of playing time. And I think that's been a factor in, in him playing pretty well, particularly on offense the last couple of games. Um, so I don't know that you necessarily need both of those guys to be hot at the same time. But I know, or I feel like the Kings would be really difficult to beat if those guys were able to be hot at the same time. And, and if somehow they were able to play on, 
on the floor together, which we haven't seen a whole lot of. Um, so I, I think, you know, with Domas in particular, one of the more underrated things about his season is just how versatile he is because, you know, yeah. we, we've seen him, you know, distribute to guys and do the dribble handoffs and spray the ball to all those three-point shooters and rack up all those assists. But now you're starting to see when those three-point shots aren't hitting and, and Kevin Herter isn't shooting particularly well, you're seeing Domas have to score more and you're seeing the, the more full arsenal of post-play and finishing with both hands and pump fakes and footwork um, and all of that stuff. And, and you're really starting to see a, a pretty a pretty damn good center like on the offensive end in, in Domas. And we know he's been good, but we're seeing him do it I think in, in different types of ways. Um, and so when the Kings, you know, get to the playoffs, like you said, they're going to have to win ugly. They're going to have to win in different ways. And I think Sabonis's versatility is going to be a huge part in that. Absolutely. And to your point about uh, Herter and Monk at on this trip, three of 15 from three for Kevin Herter, five of nine for Malik. Um, but you also got 13 assists in there with nine turnovers. Um, but, you know, that's that's Malik Monk, right? Um, and and probably the most insane miss dunk you'll ever see. What that dude? What the hell? Like <laughs> to do that off a spin move is crazy. And how far I thought, he talked it back? Like, what was your? Yeah, angle I of thought. That? So I was at I was at mid court. I was in the second row. Um, and uh, like they they put us right courtside, and I was oh, you know I thought he was gonna spin and and lay it in. Um, but no, he spun, and I mean the thing with Malik. I, I mean, people know, but like what's really impressive when you see him in person is just how much he hangs in the air when he when he jumps like he has serious bounce to the point where he feels like he's in the air for a long time. But he also gets like up gliding. super quickly. Yeah, he's gliding, but he just he gets he's he just jumps super explosively. And in, in that one, I was like, oh, spinning layup. And then, no, like midway through the air, he cocks back and tries to throw it down. And I was just like. I almost fell out of my chair because like the, the angle I had when, when I saw it on TV, it was kind of less impressive because of how far away from the rim he was. And it was like, oh, that was kind of a, you know, like not like unrealistic that he was that he was going to make that dunk. But from the from the angle I had, he would it looked like he was he had a really good shot at making it. Um, but no, he's Malik's just he I mean, he's a character, man, like that type of play, I think, fits in exactly with the type of personality he has. Like if he has an opportunity to do something insane, he's going to take it. Um, and I honestly, I think, I think that's what his teammates, one of, one of the things his teammates like about him. Yeah. It, it's super ballsy to even attempt that. And it's, it's very <laughs> Malik to your point. Uh, his athleticism is, is insane. Like what, what you're saying when he rises up, like he, sometimes he just keeps going and you're like, what is he going to stop? Like De'Aaron's a ridiculous athlete in his own right. And in that same game, De'Aaron threw a lob to Malik and he caught it and threw it down reverse, um, which it's always yeah. fun when those, when those two guys are are connecting either side of that. Um, but I think that the shooting we saw in San Antonio to win ugly in that game as well. Uh, I think that they've now improved to, I believe it's four and nine in games where they make 10 or less triples. Um, and of course those are going to be tough nights. I'm, I'm honestly surprised that there are 13 games this year where they've made 10 or less when the team is shooting nearly 40 a night and they have as many right. good shooters as they are, but sometimes that's going to happen. And, uh, and you got to make sure to still be able to find ways to win outside of that. And that was a San Antonio team that uh, came into the game and then instantly lost Jeremy Sohan and Trey Jones. And, you know, they San Antonio kept it close, but I didn't really feel a type of way about like, oh, San Antonio still in this game. I, I thought that the Kings had a rough night shooting the ball and I never really worried about San Antonio coming back. I don't know about you. It It felt like the game like during the game i was like through basically until midway through the fourth quarter i kept asking myself like why aren't the kings up 20 right now because you just look at you know who san antonio had on the floor and you're like there you know this is not this is not like a real nba team that's trying to win right. games and obviously <laughs> obviously they're they're you know deep in the victor wembanyama sweepstakes but um yeah they were hitting some shots and and i don't think the kings played with a ton of defensive intensity in that one and um you know there were some offensive rebounds that Jakob Pertl got, 
Scott. Uh, Mike Brown wasn't as hard on the team as he typically is when it comes to their defense about that. He actually um, mentioned like, oh, you know, there were some unlucky bounces and they got some offensive rebounds that, you know, it, it wasn't like a lackadaisical effort on the Kings part, which he said, which I thought was interesting because, you know, a team like that to allow the Spurs to shoot 55% for basically the entire game, I was, you know, I was a little dubious of of that defensive effort, but ultimately, you know, the, the better team sort of put its foot down uh, near the end of the fourth quarter there and, and, and they pulled away a little bit, but um, no, that game was, that game was definitely interesting from the standpoint of like talked about Kevin Herter. Like I saw Kevin Herter at shoot around, you know, he's, he's a guy who really doesn't, he does not like shooting poorly. Like he was, he was getting a lot of extra, extra shots in that shoot around. And, you know, it's a, a lot of the guys left on, on the bus and a few people stayed late and ended up taking, I think they took Ubers on their um, back to the hotel from shoot around. Cause Kevin like just wanted to keep shooting and keep shooting. <laughs> um, but he's, he's still, you know, he still didn't, didn't shoot all that well. I think he had five points in the game, but no, that was, that was a game like Sabonis. It was just a game where you mentioned winning ugly. Like they didn't, they didn't have much aside from, Sabonis, Fox, and and then Malik, given the spark that that he gave them, and and even Malik too, like he didn't really start scoring a whole lot until the fourth quarter, but he was putting his imprint on the game early with his energy, with his defense. He obviously won Defensive Player of the Game with and got his first chain post game. Never thought I'd um, see the day. <laughs> I know, um, and it was it was a good video post game too. But that's to be expected. I yeah. think. With, do you, if, do you if know? By the way, are they happening. now bringing like a smoke machine and like lights and like a whole setup on the road, or what is it? So, so the lights have been on the road for a while. I think they're at home too, but they're like these little laser pointers, and I think everyone okay, just so it's still just laser pointers. Then, yeah, it's laser pointers. But I think the smoke machine is a new addition. <laughs> but. um yeah man it's it's funny like malik really wanted it he you could see if you've seen the video that king social put out like malik really has wanted a defensive player of the game chain for a while now so i think that that's a that's obviously a good thing for them like they need if he's going to be on the floor they need him to play well defensively because he is undersized for a two guard um not that that's a huge deal in today's nba but like if he's going to contribute um, it can't just be on the offensive end. They need they need him to be a pest defensively, and, and he certainly was against the Spurs. I don't know if he's going to be able to maintain that against you know better teams than than the Spurs, who I think they have the worst offense in the NBA, or at least one of the worst. I'm pretty sure, at least with all the guys yeah. that are missing, I'm sure I'm sure they're one of the worst. So, um, but no, Malik, if he brings that defense, I, I think it raises their ceiling overall because of how much they they rely on him to not only bring energy and bring scoring, but just, um, I mean, if you, if you can bring defense, it's a different dynamic for sure. Yeah. I think him and Herter, uh, Malik and Herter at times teams will kind of try to target those guys. And if yeah. they can try to limit the amount of times that those are successful from opposing teams, obviously their offense can, can carry them. Like I, I think if this team can just be not atrocious for three quarters and then find a quarter in the game where they lock up, they can typically run away with games or at least extend yeah. a, a decent lead. Um, yeah. and, and then you just have to not totally blow it through different portions. Um, moving to the all-stars that were announced today, um, all-star reserves for the Western conference. We got, um, well, okay. So the starters, to go there first are Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, um, Zion Williamson. Where am I? Nikola Jokic. And who am I missing? Um, why? LeBron James. I... Yes. Thank you. Oh, it's over here as the, <laughs> yeah, that would make sense. He's in his own picture and I got totally lost on this graphic. Um, so yes, Steph, LeBron, Luka, Jokic, and Zion, and the reserves were announced today, and we got Shea Gilgis-Alexander, uh, John Morant, Paul George, Laurie Markkinen, Demonis Sabonis, and then Jaron Jackson Jr. and Damian Lillard. Um, most surprising name on the list to you? Um, so it's interesting, like, 
I know Jaron Jackson Jr. is regarded as like one of the best, if not the best, defensive players in the league right now. Um, but when the King, when the Kings played the Grizzlies, what last week or a couple weeks ago, um, I I talked to some coaches before the game about Jaron Jackson, and and you know this, and Mike Brown said it, but they're not, they don't really care about blocks. Yeah, like they think blocks are are kind of overrated as a statistic in terms of what they mean to playing productive defense. And it, you know, I, I think they don't have, they don't think Jackson is some like all world defensive player just because he does have a bunch of blocks. What, what they said is like, well, you, a guy who goes after blocks is somebody who you can get into foul trouble and, um, and potentially play off the floor. And, you know, I think that's when the Grizzlies are struggling, that tends to happen with, with Jackson a lot. So I think he's the guy I would, would probably point to in terms of the guy that De'Aaron Fox is probably more deserving than. Um, not to say that he's a bad player or anything. I know it's the, the all-star conversation is tough because there are so few spots. And the most difficult thing about talking about snubs is like, you have to take a really, really good player off the team in order to get somebody on the team that you thought should have made it right. So, um, but in terms of like overall, um, body of work i know jackson's dealt with injuries i know he has crazy block numbers um and he's probably gonna end up winning defensive player of the year or at least he's a betting favorite at least in early february um so that's the guy that kind of stood out to me like i know memphis is having a great season they're 32 and 20 um they did lose to cleveland tonight but i i just that that's sort of the guy like i i get you know i i think the dame stuff Dame played what 39 games and Fox is at 47. Yeah. Um, he's averaging 30. I know he's averaging 30. That's the thing. It's like, it's how, how can you, how can you take a 30 point score with a track record like him and not, you know, not have him on the all-star team. Um, and obviously it's not all about track record, but like that, that clearly right. plays a part of it in terms of bias and how coaches are voting and stuff like that. But I think the, in terms of the guy that Fox probably should have been given not over, I would say, Jaron Jackson Jr., although it is different because it's different positionally. And I'm not I'm not entirely sure like how that how that all works with the with the positional stuff. But I do think Fox is probably gonna be the first alternate if one of the guys um ends up not playing in the game. And and that's probably gonna be Zion Williamson, I would think. Yeah, hopefully. I, I think how it ended up working out is we did it's two backcourt three front court and then two wild cards for the reserves um and the two backcourt in, in my mind are sga and jaw um and then you have three front court laurie sabonis and then i would imagine either one of jaron jackson or paul george and then you have a final guard of of damian lillard um and you know maybe yeah. one of those other guards was a wild card instead of dame um but i thought sga and jaw's numbers were i thought those guys were pretty obvious um, to me, yeah, it comes same. down to PG and, and Jaron Jackson. Like, yeah. I didn't really consider Jaron Jackson until like somebody had pointed out to me this morning. And I was like, okay, well, that's actually an interesting one that I hadn't thought of. I know he missed his first 14 games. Um, but like you said, like probably the favorite right now for the defensive player of the year. And I understand why the coaching staff um, feels the way they do about blocks for sure. They're, they're big on verticalities, right? And definitely like, the 3.3 blocks, I can't help but like just be like, holy shit at, you know, and there is the right, foul trouble yeah. that comes with it. But 3.3 blocks a game is absurd. And he is so good on defense. Um, he's also putting up, I, these don't sound amazing, but 16 and a half points, 6.7 rebounds on 50, 36, 78. Like I think his his counting stats are fine as well. Um, I, I didn't hate it. I did not have Jaron Jackson on my. Um, on my like, you know, worksheet ballot, I guess. Um, but then after the fact, I'm like, you know, maybe I would have actually given it to him over PG if I gave it more consideration. Um, because I think if you want to make the defense argument, it's a lot easier to for Jaron Jackson, right? And and Paul George is a better right. defender than De'Aaron Fox. I'm not denying that. Um, but I, I think that like numbers wise, production of team, all these teams are pretty close, by the way. I think that the me make sure I get this right here. Two games 
under the Grizzlies is the Kings and two games under the Kings is the Clippers. So these teams are all fairly close in the standings. Um, But I I think that De'Aaron's, you know, one more point than, than PG, but he does have uh, one more assist, one less rebound. Like the percentages look a little bit better, obviously from three for PG, but better from the field for De'Aaron and, I would just personally give it to De'Aaron between the two because I think that while PG's a better defender, I think that De'Aaron's clutch numbers should have put him over the top. I, I think he's yeah, the leader I, in true shooting percentage in the clutch. They've played so many clutch games, and it's it hasn't been all for nothing. Like They're winning these close games. And Fox has played in 10 more games throughout the season. Right. So, yeah, I, I think I'm with you on that. I, I think that makes sense. So the Clippers are... You know, they are the fourth team in the West. Um, I don't know. The, the all-star stuff, I try not to get. I know it, it matters a lot, um, but I try not to get too wrapped up in it because I don't I don't really remember year after year, like, who is an all-star. You know, I know, like, the, it's right. the all-star conversation is all about legacy and stuff like that. But, like, I don't know. Do you think a year from now we're going to be talking about Paul George and Jaron Jackson Jr. and Darren Fox's all-star candidacy? You know, I think it, it's certainly something to talk some about people will be. when it comes. To, <laughs> yeah, some people will be sure. I, and I'm not trying to dismiss any of them, but just for me personally, like, I don't know. I like I think all NBA is is way more important. And ultimately, uh-huh. how you do that season is is way more important. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I think Fox is ultimately going to end up playing in the game. Right. Like, I think. I think he'll be the first call if Zion doesn't play because he's still dealing with that hamstring that he's not even back from yet. And I can't imagine the Pelicans are going to be like, yeah, you know, go play in the all-star game, given everything that's <laughs> that they've gone through with him and injuries over these last couple of years. So uh, as much as it might sting um, for Kings fans to, to not have De'Aaron Fox initially in the all-star game, I, I do think there's a really good chance he's going to be in it regardless. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. 20th Century Studios presents Vacation Friends 2. Now streaming only on Hulu. Look at us all together again. We just wanted to give you guys a real honeymoon. Shots! 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 Now streaming. He was just released from jail. Where can I get a drink around here? Back on vacation. This place is nice. It's drug lord nice. I'm sorry, drug lord nice? With more baggage. Ever since he showed up, he turned this relaxing vacation into total chaos. Does that vacation friends too rated R now streaming only on Hulu? Hopefully, um, if I, I didn't feel too much of a type of way about him not making it either, I, I think that like it was kind of already a toss up for me. If if he would make it, I, I think that he's still deserving and like in that conversation just as much as as some of the guys that did make it. If there is an injury replacement for Zion, which seems likely. Um, and it goes to either Anthony Edwards or like Aaron Gordon or Anthony Davis. Like I might feel a little bit of a type of way. Anthony Davis was playing insane when he, when he was healthy, but his number of games is, is, I don't know. It's still a bit more than what you saw with Jaron Jackson. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. And hopefully Fox gets a replacement. I saw somebody jokingly say like Domas should claim that he wants to sit out the all-star game because of his thumb and, then De'Aaron would get the spot. And I thought that was a hilarious idea. Um, that, yeah, it's not bad. But yeah, I don't know. I thought the most egregious thing, honestly, was was Siakam not making the team. Um, but I obviously pay more closer attention to the West than the East. Um, last topic I want to move to here with you, Chris, before I get you out of here is the trade deadline that's approaching. We're recording this a week away from the trade deadline. And I asked you beforehand just to kind of, get an idea of like, is there anybody you're interested or anything? So that way I make sure I'm, I'm all researched and, and thought out. And I think you're in the minority for saying you think they should sit tight. I I'm comfortable if they sit tight. Um, But I I think that most people 
disagree. And I'm curious why you feel that way. Yeah, I mean, so first of all, I think uh, I totally understand why people disagree. I think generally everybody wants their team to try to do something aggressive at the trade deadline, right? That's just like what what we do as fans just in general. Right. So I totally get it. Um, I think the Kings, frankly, are ahead of schedule in, in terms of you know rebuilding and now all of a sudden being a playoff contending team. Um, and being ahead of schedule allows you to not have to be super aggressive at the trade deadline. And I think right now, like, I don't know, the uh, unless there's a deal where the Kings can absolutely swindle somebody, I, it just to me looks like a seller's market in terms of um, in, in terms of like what it's going to look like. Like you're going to have to give up a lot to get a little, in my opinion. Right. And so, um, you know, the Kings best trade asset is probably Keegan Murray. And why why are you necessarily in a rush to get Keegan Murray? off your team uh, to, you know, and, and pull in a veteran, like, is there, is, is trading for, let's just say the heat fall out of it or whatever. And they decide that they want to trade Jimmy Butler, right? Is Jimmy Butler on this team? Like, is that going to bring the Kings a championship now? I'm not necessarily sure. And wouldn't it, wouldn't you be better off just riding it out with Keegan Murray, just seeing what he becomes um, because he's on a rookie contract because he could develop into a into a player that becomes immensely valuable, particularly because he's on his rookie contract moving forward, rather than, you know, trying to make a deal for somebody that, you know, if the Kings make a deal, say, for a veteran, um, it's going to cost them multiple role players, right? Or multiple rotation players, I should say. And I just think they have a good thing going. They're ahead of schedule and they should just develop what they have and see if they can win with what they have and see what it looks like in the playoffs with this current group before trying to figure out if they need to make a substantial move. Right. And I, I I'm not opposed to making a, a, a trade for them, you know, on, on the edges of the roster. Like if, if they want to go get Mason Plumley um, for, I don't know, Terrence Davis in a couple seconds or Terrence Davis for Sean Holmes in a couple seconds, fine. But also like, I don't know if Charlotte, or any other team is really all that interested in getting guys on expiring contracts, right? Because expiring contracts right now in the NBA feel like they have less value than they typically, than, than what we normally think, right? Like we, we normally think like, Oh, a team has expiring contracts, like cap space is super valuable. Well, it's not really as valuable anymore because free agents aren't going to teams like Charlotte um right. to you know like like that that cap space is not going to do them a whole lot of good they're going to end up with um you know w- without a whole lot to show for the cap space in this coming off season and so i just don't know you know why like teams want to dump contracts sure but in terms of like getting expiring deals for tanking teams it, there's not much benefit in it and just in being able to have cap space so and like, I just think that it's, it's kind of a weird market. And I think the Kings would behoove themselves to take a long-term approach and realize that like, yeah, you're the third team in the West. And theoretically the third team could contend to get to say the conference finals in theory. But, you know, let's, I, I, if I'm Monty McNair and the fact that he just signed an extension is obviously a huge part in this, right? Because he can right. take the long-term view instead of trying to make a deal that could ultimately change his fate with its team. He doesn't have to worry about that anymore. So he can take the long-term view and then say, all right, let's see how Keegan Murray plays in the playoffs. Let's see if Malik Monk can give us some, you know, some juice in, in the playoffs for the first time really that he's ever been in the playoffs. Let's see if Sabonis can become a, an even better playoff player after getting a taste of the playoffs during his time with the Pacers. Um, let's see how De'Aaron Fox handles the playoffs, right? Like, I, I think playoff reps are super important uh, just overall. And and that those playoff minutes are going to look way different than what the Kings are, are, how they're playing in the regular season, right? The playoffs are just such a different animal that you're going to learn way more about your team when you get to the playoffs than you are right now. And frankly, like when the Kings lose games, I don't really look at it like, 
oh, they would they're losing this game. They're losing these games because of their roster. I think they're losing these games because of just how they're playing. Like I think their roster is good enough, and it makes it like the roster makes a lot of sense right now. Like they have a lot yeah. of pieces that complement each other really well and that fit together. Whereas if you were to make a trade, like I just don't know that you're getting good value and you're kind of upsetting the apple cart and you might be losing that long-term view on what this team could be if it went through a few playoff runs and got those playoff reps together. Like, you know, the Warriors, the Warriors had a couple playoff runs before they became champions, right? Like they had to figure out how to play in the playoffs in 2013 and 2014 before they really took that step in 2015. And the Kings haven't had any playoffs experience at all yet. So if I'm them, I'm just taking this current group I have without making any major changes, seeing how they do in the playoffs when everything is drastically different, when the game slows down, uh, when defense is obviously more of a priority. And then when you get to that point, you have a better idea of what you need to improve upon. And then you have the offseason to potentially make some moves. That, that's how I would look at it. Because I, I just don't, I, you know, you might cost yourself a chance at having, um, you know, a really good player for a long time. Somebody like Keegan Murray, if you're like, okay, I could go get, say, Pascal Siakam or OG Ananobi or something. Yeah, maybe those guys are, are clear and obvious upgrades. But then you're costing yourself draft picks that you could potentially move later down the road when you have a better idea of what you need. Or, uh, you know, rotation players when, frankly, like, the Kings don't have a lot of wing depth, right? Like they have Harrison Barnes and Keegan Murray and Trey Lyles in terms of like wing players, not counting guards like Kevin Herter and Malik Monk. But like, I just think they're better off seeing what they have for right now this year, realizing that they're ahead of schedule, playing it out, and then waiting till the offseason to make any substantial changes. Ahead of schedule, couldn't agree with more. I, I think that like this year, barring some major collapse, is already a success. And we've heard yeah. Coach Brown talk so much about the importance of of experience in the postseason and how much this team lacks it. You know, even the guys like like Domas has gone three times. He's never been out of the first round, right? Um, Kevin Herter does have that run to the Eastern Conference Finals. He was phenomenal in that game seven uh, of Ben Simmons' last game in Philly, but that's one series there um, or or one run there. And... I just think that there's not enough guys that have substantial playoff experience on this roster, particularly the main guys that you can just overlook that and assume that, well, if we got one more piece, like we'd be right in contention. Like, I, I think that's a little crazy and I don't actually think that there's any like moves. I mean, I've, you know, been told specifically like they do not want to trade Keegan Murray, which of course they said they don't want to trade Tyrese Halliburton um for what it's worth but that they think that keegan murray can be better than a laurie marketing like why would we trade keegan murray for laurie marketing he's going to be better than that and sure believing in keegan that much like there's been flashes recently where i could see how maybe you could talk yourself into that i don't know if i'm quite at that level but like any of the starting five i don't think should be touched with i i don't think that malik monk should be moved i pretty much on the same with Davion if if there was something more I, I don't know I'm not like not, nobody's untouchable right for the right deal I guess but right. I don't think that you need to move anything like that to me what stands out is like Terrence Davis is expiring Alex Len is expiring and both those guys each make about four million you could get to taking back like a 12 million dollar player there and then you have nine second round picks and that are usable and then you have two TPEs, one that's just over $4 million from the Tyrese trade and one that's $1.6 and some change from the Bagley trade. Like, to me, you know, you could look at, at backup center, right, for example, that which is something that you floated around, um, does, and, and then you could also look at, you know, adding another wing player, like you kind of hinted at. Like, to me, I, I think a hypothetical scenario I laid out today. Like I've really talked myself into Josh Richardson, right? I think he's a guy that could be your seventh, eighth guy. And just to add another piece, right? He reminds me of Dante DiVincenzo a bit where I, I think he's a capable shooter, um, can put the ball on the floor and be a connector. Sometimes he'll do a little bit too much on offense, but at the same time, he's a pesky defender. And I, I think 
a rotation player on a good team. Maybe some nights that he, he doesn't have it, but just like anybody, and he's expiring contract. You could do Terrence Davis, Alex Len, and say two second round picks for Josh Richardson. And then, you know, I don't know that I think uh, Serge Ibaka can still play basketball at all, but if it's <laughs> meaning a your $4 million TPE that would expire anyways on the 7th, and then, for example, your own second round pick, which right now is projected projected to be pick 54, to get a guy that maybe can, probably not, but worst case, he's another Della Vadova, and all you're giving up is the 50th pick in the draft. And we've heard how much they love Matthew Della Vadova's veteran experience as a guy that's gone through it. Like, I think it's small stuff like that that stands out to me. And again, I don't really love Sergi Baca as a player. It's more so just like a hypothetical I'm laying out with. Um, to me, assets that like, if you don't use outside of the second round picks are kind of just gone anyways. And I- I'm curious specifically on the backup center, how much of it is, because I know you're all about Trey at the backup five, or at least that's, you know, you've, you've talked about <laughs> really spurts. liking that idea and it's worked a little bit as of yeah. late. Um, how much of that is, you know, believing that the answer is already on this roster and how much of it is we don't like, why is everybody so worried about the backup five? It's 15 minutes a night. Yeah. And it's probably even fewer than 15 minutes a night in the playoffs. Right. right? Cause like, I kind of think, you know, like, in a in a do or die scenario, like wouldn't you rather just try Trey Lyles with the starters or with you know sixty percent of the starting lineup and maybe Malik or something with your second unit in in the playoffs, like just to just increase the pace and see if you can if you can run a team a little bit um, because ultimately, like I, you know, these other guys, these other like Alex Len's never seen the floor in the playoffs i don't think rashawn holmes is ever going to see the floor in the playoffs um i think chemezi might but i think in order for them to feel more comfortable about him in the playoffs he needs to be fouling less and probably making more threes and right now he's not doing that but i think in terms of skill set i think chemezi makes a ton of sense and is kind of the perfect backup center for them um but he just needs to he needs to be a little bit better and be a little bit more consistent in those areas um so that's I like I'm in on Trey as the backup five just because like of what it represents, right? Like how what the, the problems that he poses are completely different um than than what Demonis Sabonis poses, right? Like you have you saw it in overtime the other night in Minnesota, just the speed that he plays with and the fact that he can run around the three point line and pull, you know, Rudy Gobert away from the paint potentially. And then even, you know, play with enough strength and physicality to bother him when it comes to rebounding. Like, obviously, you know, the Kings have an issue with their low man on defense, right? Like, and Trey Lyles is certainly not going to be some shot blocker and and defensive anchor for them. But I don't know that you're going to find one of those guys on the trade market anyway, at least in a deal that makes a whole lot of sense for them. And even so, like, that guy's only going to play 10 minutes, whereas you know, maybe just forget all that, change the way you play a little bit, up the tempo, increase your shooting and and spread teams out a little bit. And then maybe you could make up the, the you know, that that could be the way you play with your second string center. Um, at least that's how I look at it in the playoffs. So I, I don't really get wrapped up in terms of the Kings, like absolutely needing to find a backup center at the trade deadline. Like there might be a buyout guy that might fit, I mean, for me, yeah. it's like, I just don't think Rashawn Holmes and Alex Len fit is why they're not playing. It's not necessarily that they're not good enough, at least in Holmes's case. I think Holmes is plenty good enough, but it's, he's just not a natural fit with what they do. Um, and Mezzi is, but I'm not giving up resources or, you know, like what somebody's going to, I feel like somebody's going to overpay for Mason Plumley. But if you can get Plumley for a song, then yeah, go ahead and do it. There's no reason not to, but given that other teams are going to be in the market for bigs, I think you're probably going to end up overpaying. And I think just in general at the trade deadline this year, I think anybody who goes is going to be overpaid for. So like if I'm the Kings, I'm, you know, I'm not super eager to go overpay for somebody when I have another option potentially in Trey Lyles as a backup five who can be effective in a completely different way. 
Um, so that's what I, that's what I like about him. I know I've you and you and I have talked about it a little bit at Kings games, and and I was really happy to see Trey Lyles do what he did in overtime in Minnesota because it it confirmed the hell out of my priors, man. So <laughs> yeah, that was the important thing. But um, <laughs> but yeah, no, in terms it, it of backup did. center, like I think I think they have. They have enough there because I mean Sabonis is going to be playing forty minutes in the playoffs. Like, let's be real. Right. No, totally get it. I, I think that uh, I wouldn't mind some of these marginal moves with guys like I mentioned, TD, Len, Rashawn. I don't think anybody would want to take on Rashawn's contract, but maybe because I, I agree with you. I don't think he's bad. I think this is just a bad fit for him. And then second round picks, TPEs, like something marginal, sure. Um, but outside of that, I don't know that there's much else. Um, but I'm going to get you out of here, Chris. I know I, I kept you longer than I said. I appreciate you staying and, and talking. Um, I hope the trip has gone smooth for you. Are, are, yeah, it's been good. Are these these uh, cities cold and uncomfortable or what? <laughs> Minnesota was minus five the whole weekend, so oh, it was definitely cold and uncomfortable. But um, I found some good restaurants, and Minnesota is a, a nice enough downtown that um, it's not a bad place to be by any means. San Antonio, the weather... I mean, it was like 35 in San Antonio and raining, but it like it felt super comfortable in comparison to Minneapolis. Um, got some good Tex-Mex. And then I just got to India today. One of my favorite restaurants like anywhere in the country is in Indy. Uh, Bluebeard, if anybody uh, is familiar, I highly, highly recommend. But um, so I just I just came from there, actually, and I was happy to eat there tonight. Might go might go for lunch before the game tomorrow. But no, it's <laughs> uh, it's been a fun trip. These obviously aren't like tier one NBA cities. But uh, but it's been it's been fun, and uh, I'll be I'll be coming home before New Orleans, sadly, and uh, I'm not frankly, honestly, not upset at all to be missing the uh, the two games in Houston. <laughs> <laughs> shocker, shocker. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I I appreciate you again, Chris Biederman um, of the Sacramento Bee, also Candlestick Chronicles for all the Niner fans out there that are are coping through these hard times. Um, uh, also a blue wire podcast um but that's gonna do it for us definitely take a look at the king's herald and their patreon to support local independent king's coverage from all the great guys and gals there including myself and if you enjoyed this episode of the king's post podcast please subscribe rate and review and hear from me again next couple days